This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. My guest is Anshul Sag. Hi, Anshul. How are you? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, tell us a little bit what you do. I'm a analyst who covers the mobile space. Um, I also cover AR, VR, and other types of client technologies, and sometimes wireless, too. What's the company you work for? Uh, I work for More Insights and Strategies. That's right, More Insights. So, uh, Anshul and I know each other for a long time now. We run into each other at all these different conferences and 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 meet and press things and analyst things. And uh, Anshul has a lot of phones I want to at some point talk about your uh, essential phone experience a little bit too maybe <laughs> uh but uh we have a special guest that's going to be coming and joining us halfway through the podcast at some point um we're in hong kong today uh, at the qualcomm 5g summit no 4g 5g summit yeah 4g 5g yeah so this is all about you know the future of wireless tech basically how we're going to get these millions of devices online with blazing speeds and low latency and Blah, 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 pie in the sky. But it is cool, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we were dreaming of 4G, like what, 10 years ago, and here we are, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because 5G is supposed to bring the things that we thought 4G was going to bring, and 4G was supposed to bring the things that we thought 3G was going to bring, so <laughs> it's a continuing chase of the dream. Yeah, basically. So um, the reason why this thing is... Because there's also some Snapdragon news, and you know, obviously, as a, my focus is on on mobile devices, meaning you know wearables and phones and all that. So we have a bunch of phones to talk about. Let's start with those, and then when our guest comes, we'll take a break and talk about some more Qualcomm specific things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Pixel two and Pixel two XL. The reviews came out uh, about twelve hours ago. Well, a bit more than that now. Um, including my video. You should go to YouTube and check it out. Uh, it's not the best video, but it was live, so was, uh, live is always interesting. Uh, what's your take on the Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL? Well, I think my initial re- you know, reaction is kind of similar to what a lot of other people were saying in the sense that if you're going to get a Pixel 2, you should probably get the XL. Um, but that also depends on whether or not you think the display is a, is a deal breaker. Yeah, do you think the display story is not being overblown? I think it has a little bit. I, I mean, it, it, when it comes to smartphone reviews in general, you know, there are some people who just really, really care a lot about the display, and for them it's a deal breaker. But for other people, it you know, if it's good enough and it doesn't look horrible, they're happy with it. So I think that if, it's a, if the display is a deal breaker for you, I have a feeling that some people may, you know, consider the XL2s or 2XL's display, you know, kind of muted or not not vibrant enough. But I personally don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it. Mine is set to vibrant, which is a slightly exaggerated color gamut, which I personally feel looks right. I think that the default setting is a bit dull looking. And I think that, you know, you compare it to a Galaxy, of course, the Galaxy is going to pop even more. But that's right. Samsung's thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, Samsung overdoes it too. So, you know, they're, they want to show off and prove that they can do more than anybody else can. And they have every right to. But, I, I mean, generally speaking, the the reactions I've seen and the impressions I have from what I've seen 
is that the Pixel 2 is a solid phone almost in every possible way. And it's probably going to be the phone that I recommend people get when they look to buy a new Android phone. Because, I mean, it's really hard to beat the stock Google experience in terms of stability and speed. Yeah. Well, how do you feel? You said you you think most people are going to go for the Pixel 2 XL. What about the Pixel 2, though? I mean, it. I think for people like small phones, this is probably the smallest Snapdragon 835 phone on the market today. Yeah, I think, you know, the XL is kind of the phone that a lot of people who would otherwise consider, you know, an S8 Plus or a V30 or something that's a larger phone with a larger display. But if you're not into larger displays, the regular Pixel 2 is absolutely that alternative option that I think a lot of people will go for, especially when you consider that it, it's also considerably cheaper. And I have friends who went out and bought regular Pixel 2s as opposed to the XL because they didn't think that the price premium that you pay for the XL was worth it. They they just thought that, you know, you get the same camera, you get the same processor, so why should you pay so much more just for the display? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's obviously a choice. I think you, the, the, let's go through the differences real quick. So the only really big differences between the two phones are the displays and the batteries, right? Mm -hmm. um, the display uh, on the uh, X, uh, Pixel 2 is 5 inches, it's 69, it's AMOLED, so it's a traditional aspect ratio, which I think is a bit of a bummer, gives you a lot of bezel, and you get a phone that's kind of big for its screen size. And it I feels mean, a little dated. It's still a phone, yeah. It's still a phone that's small today's standards, but you know you still get the screen to uh, body ratio is a little skewed, uh, and to today's standard it seems a little antiquated. Uh, the XL, uh, the two XL has a six-inch display. It's a Quad HD plus, so it's a ultra wide eighteen by nine aspect ratio. It's actually two to two to one, and it has a little deeper color gamut, I think. Yeah, it does. Slightly. On paper, it's technically slightly better. Yeah. it's a plastic AMOLED panel from LG. It's the same display that's on the V30, which has been subject to some blotchiness on some of the pre-production V30s. Mm -hmm. But I'll be frank, the I haven't seen a production V30 or a Pixel 2 XL either at Google's launch event or my own review units or other people's review units that have any blotchiness. So I think we're we're safe on that. That's good. Um, and it's been an issue in the past. I mean, the LG Flex 2 or 2 Flex. I remember that. Um, had Flex 2, I think, had a, a plastic AMOLED curved screen, slightly curved. I remember that. And it had blotchiness at, on the production model. I didn't have it for very long. So it it was that. disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, so um, that's the main differences. Am I forgetting anything about the differences? The batteries, 2700 milliamp hour on the Pixel 2, 3520, I believe, on the Pixel 2 XL. The Pixel 2 XL is going to give you a better run for your money in terms of battery life. But I my tests so far show that the Pixel 2 can hold a good day, and the Pixel 2 XL can probably go a day and a half, actually, of heavy use. Yeah, and that's kind of expected, right? Yeah, I mean, it's good, but it seems to be in line with what we're seeing from all the current flagships. Yeah. Um, so, so to me, you know, I want to talk about two things that are one thing that is really awesome about the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL, and one thing that's kind of really disappointing about them. Okay. Um, the one thing I love about it, obviously, is the camera right. and the camera experience. Um, what is your take on what Google's doing here with the camera? Well, I think it's an evolution of what they started with the first Pixel. I think that they're continuing to add more capabilities and refine what they did with the original Pixel. Um, I think that they've 
cleaned up a lot of the noise even further than they did it before. And I think a lot of people are pretty impressed with the bokeh feature that they have. And the fact that it's not, first of all, it doesn't require a dual camera. Yeah. And that it works on the front-facing camera and the main camera. Yeah. So and, you don't have to turn the thing around. And it doesn't just do portraits, which, you know, it's not just optimized for portraits. You can actually take photos of objects and get the bokeh effect, which is really quite impressive. Um, for the rear camera, it does use the dual pixel autofocus feature right. um, as uh, access to depth information to get slightly more accurate depth map. I don't really know how it does it on the front. I mean, it's prob probably purely based on the machine learning at mm -hmm. that point. And so that's the big deal about this camera is I think that Google has shown that computational photography really matters. The Pixel last year could do some really amazing things in low light by stacking photos and mosaicing photos and taking bits and pieces of these various photos and, and you know removing blur. Um, it, it did okay without OIS uh, because of computational photography. So now the Pixel 2s have OIS, both of them, have a faster lens, f over 1.8 versus f over 1.2, uh, sorry, 2.0 on the old ones, which means they're better in low light by default and sharper. And sharper. But what I'm seeing is a lot of detail, a lot of uh, dynamic range prowess from the Pixel 2 that I've, I haven't seen on any other phone. And the portrait feature is cool. It works well. But that's not really what blows my mind is how good it is at just taking photos when you mash the camera button. And I'll be honest with you. Like just looking at some of the samples that I've seen people taking, the, the photos look more lifelike. Correct. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like I've been doing photography since I was 13, but they genuinely just, there's no, it just feels more lifelike. I can't really think of a more. feels real. Yeah, I can't think of a technical explanation, uh, you know, but it just people look more lifelike when you take photos of them. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, and it's kind of blowing my mind in low light right now. Um, so I'm really happy. I've only really had the phone for like four or five days. And because I was traveling, I've really only used it for two. So I've got maybe 12 or 20 pictures on my phone. I'm still working to get uh, a lot more. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. I think next week's podcast, I'll have a lot more to say about what my, you know, camera impressions are. The um, other thing that I think is cool about the camera is, uh, you know, it's, it just seems like a better sensor potentially as well, slightly. Uh, of course, you had dual pixels, so I'm sure it's different. Last year's didn't. Right. Um, and I feel that, um, you know, it's, as I said, noise is a little better. Like, you you mentioned that, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look, so far, I would say that all the high-end camera phones, iPhone 8, Note 8, V30, S8, uh, Galaxy S8, are top-notch contenders in the camera space today. It's You can't launch a flagship and not have a decent camera, and we can talk about Essential, right, in a minute. Yeah. But But... But I think what I'm trying to get to is that the others had kind of caught up with the Pixel in many ways. Right, I agree with that. And I think that the Pixel 2s are kind of giving us, like, if we were at 10, now we're at 11 or 12. They've knocked the goalposts further. Exactly. And now the industry has to catch up with that. And, and that is not a hardware thing or even a firmware thing. At this point, it's becoming a computational software thing. And, and it's funny because I remember when the Pixel first came out, people were like itching to get access to the camera app so they could try and see how it performs on their phone. Yeah, and, and there's an entire bunch of APKs optimized for different phones that you can find on the internets out there, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people who really want to get access to it if they don't have a Pixel. Yeah, so I mean, um, 
camera story on the Pixel 2s is, is outstanding, I would say, at this point. Mm -hmm. um, the big disappointment, since I, I mentioned there was a downside to the Pixel, to me at least, it might not be an issue for a lot of you, is the lack of headphone jack. Um, I think that uh, if Samsung had done it, we would have been kind of taking the same position as Apple. We'd be bitching, but we'd accept it because they are market leaders. Right. They can kind of get away with deciding what the market should bear. Right. But I don't think Google's in a position to be a market leader yet. Well, to be honest, I, I, I slightly disagree with you, but I also agree at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think... I think they're not in the position to do it because they gave Apple so much crap for it last year. Well, that's exactly what that's that's my yeah. opinion. But I think they are a market leader now, and I think that they're helping to decide what the market wants or should have in a phone. For example, with the camera. Right. So you know, if if they're able to drive the market with camera, maybe they also should be able to drive it with other components but I, I as much as i'm very excited that the pixel last year and this year as well is bringing some amazing photography improvements to the camp to the, to the entire phone ecosystem i still don't feel like they're selling phones like the numbers really aren't there for them to be a market leader like right. google itself is a market leader because In of volume, services so i'm saying to me like if i was the underdog if i was trying to to you know, make the Pixel brand a thing, I think removing the headphone jack was too early. It will eventually happen on all phones, right? right? But at this point, I feel like they could have, because you know, everybody's saying this in review, Dieter said that on his uh, Verge review, he's like, if this thing had a headphone jack, that's it, we would probably say this is the absolute best phone we've ever played with. <laughs> which, which is silly, because uh, I, I genuinely don't understand why they need to get re remove it, right? There's design elements that could probably require that, but it doesn't seem like it was necessary this time. Um, but the the way I look at it is the the Pixel's a good phone, um, but some people just don't really care that much about headphone jacks anymore. And that's fine. And and I think, I mean, if you have a headphone jack, you don't have to use it. But there are people who want to have it, and I understand if you have a headphone jack, you don't want to use a dongle. I, I had an iPhone 7 Plus. I used the dongle once, and I almost lost it. <laughs> and it's kind of flimsy, and it's a bad user experience. That's what I'm saying. It's like, look, I understand there are benefits to dropping it. Like, you get a little bit more space. I don't buy the water resistance uh, no, argument. But, yes. but the space argument I do buy, and I do think that, yes, eventually we're going towards a wireless world. The problem is that... There are no wireless headphones or earbuds or in-ear monitors today that rival anything remotely close to good old analog you plug into a jack type of, of products. So if you enjoy music as much as I do and you're a bit of an audiophile or, or just like music, like you're a musician or whatever, it's, it's about sound quality and that you can't get on wireless quite yet, and you don't, and choice, which you can't get on wireless quite yet, and ubiquity. And to me, right. ubiquity is actually probably the one people talk about the least. But you know, you go to a, you know, like travel in Morocco or something, and your little, you hire a car for the day, and you want to listen to tunes, and the driver is totally accommodating, but they have a head unit with an aux in, and that's all right. I have. Now you have to have an adapter and a cord. Like he probably has a cord. Right, but you need but, the adapter. But the adapter, and, and, and that's what I'm talking about. It's that you can plug anything into 3.5 millimeter, and it works. it's been around forever. But I will tell you, a lot of people don't know this, but the Pixel 2 does have AptX HD. 
It does. So, and I don't know if you've ever used it with an Aptex HD headphones like the Sennheisers. It sounds quite good. So sorry to interrupt you, Anshel, but our special guest is here. We have Don McGuire with us Hi. of Qualcomm. Hey. Good to see you again, Miriam. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hinted. And you as well, Anshel. I hinted that uh, we were talking about Qualcomm stuff today a little okay. bit more. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to kind of, we just talked about the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL. We're kind of mm -hmm. in the middle of that conversation. Okay. And, uh, and we feel it kind of culminates uh, into like, the you know a series of 835 flagships I, I don't know if we're going to see more this year probably not that many but um, I, think, I think the xiaomi which just announced like last week um mate 6 or it's announcing now is probably the probably the last flagship you'll see um this year yeah so um so um basically my take is that you know it's kind of like culminating the 835 story in a way for the year, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there might be more, but I think for a North American-centric or Western-centric audience, the Pixel right. 2 is definitely, you know. So we were talking about the camera, and we are talking about the lack of headphone jacks, which are like the pros and the cons, I think, of the whole thing. Right. We haven't talked about the, the chipset and stuff, and I kind of wanted to get your take a little bit on, you know, how you feel... The, the 835 stories being because we've seen some phenomenal devices with that chipset. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think we've been really pleased. Um, obviously, because we moved to a new process node, um, we moved to a new process node, there's a lot that comes along with that, right? And so the ramp was slower than obviously we wanted it to be because of that transition, which is always hard. Um, but since we kind of got over those initial humps uh, in the first couple quarters, we've seen phenomenal growth in a number of devices launched, OEMs committing to build flagship devices on A35, um, and then the feature uh, feature set adoption uh, by most of the OEMs um, to take full advantage of what the 845 uh, the sorry 835 platform has to offer, and um, and that's one of the things I think we're excited about. Devices like the LG V30, right, and these other sort of just really great devices, right, that are, are that are taking advantage of the Note 8 um, as well. Um, taking advantage of the full capabilities of A35, that's what we're really, I think, excited exciting about. And we've seen that kind of ramp um, continue to grow throughout the, the course of this year. Um, so, you know, we're yeah. very pleased. For sure. What can you tell us about the partnership with Google working on this product? Were you more involved with LG and HTC, who are the manufacturers of these two phones? Or were you directly working with Google and they were asking you, you know, to unleash some some magic that you maybe had in your back pocket for the, for the imaging or stuff like that? Uh, well, so every OEM focuses on different things, right? Um, because they're trying to differentiate, and it's hard. It's, it is difficult in, across the Android ecosystem to differentiate um, uh, across flagship devices. But uh, so from a Google-specific perspective, working with the Pixel team directly, who then in turn you know, works with HTC or LG um, in the background. The good news is, is we also work with HTC and LG on their own devices. <laughs> so it's sort of a triangulation. Um, and so everybody's familiar with the platform. Everybody knows about the feature sets um, and all that collective knowledge is brought to, to bear. But from a, a direct relationship perspective, obviously it's working with the Pixel team. Um, on you know where where they want to drive differentiation, where they want to bring their quote unquote special sauce to the table that makes Pixel Pixel, right? And and so um, their focus on camera, for example, is one of the areas. Um, and we helped obviously with our ISP, our Spectra ISP, and some of the other things that we 
we include on the 835 platform that they were able to leverage, uh, which we're, you know, we were excited about. Um, uh, and then even HTC on their own flagship devices also leveraged right. to get a, you know, to get a very high score, right, from a camera perspective. So I think what what's interesting is that the Pixel team, if you look at how they launched Pixel 2, um, they uh, obviously have their own differentiating features, but they also adopted some of the features that HTC had announced and launched in the U11 earlier, like this the, the squeezeability, squeeze. right? Right, uh, yeah, uh, that's and, very and, different. Yeah. And, you know, from a marketing perspective, Google obviously has a lot of cachet, and so more people probably are aware of that feature now than when HTC launched it because HTC's marketing isn't quite as global, universal, and, and is big, and they don't have a big Google logo on it. So, um, so uh, they're a little bit disadvantaged there. But this cross sort of pollinization of feature sets between um, the Google team um, and and their providers or their suppliers on the OE, on the OEM side, or you know these are OEMs that are really acting as ODMs for, for Google, uh, has been quite interesting. And now with the the acquisition of the HTC technical resources that Google has acquired, um, what we see is Google really trying to scale, right, right? and and really grow beyond. You know the one market, one operator, kind of one channel sort of play, which is what they've been in, um, and we know they've tried this a couple of different times, right? So, um, so we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, overall, great, excited about the device. Um, they put their Googleness on it, which you know, <laughs> which they tend to do, and 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 so we're lo- looking forward to seeing how how it progresses. Two OEMs though, outside of Pixel Two, if that's okay. Yeah. That I really. Um, want to talk about for a second because it's interesting conversation one is oneplus right um i think oneplus has done a fantastic job with their flagship device i've had Um, a hard time putting mine down yeah and it's a solid phone you know they've got this great cult following they've got this great way they launch their devices and um and they've really leveraged the 35 platform again to its fullest and if you you know like our entire China team uses that device like they're you know so so it's it, they love it right so it's it's they've got this great following in China this great following in India and this great following in in Europe and now even in the U S yeah I think that they've done a great job of being sort of this under the radar you know sort of cult classic sort of OEM um, which I think is fantastic and then essential um, escal- you know actually they're a little bit of an a, of an enigma right. Um, uh, I think there were big expectations because of you know Andy and where he came from, where he came from. Uh, uh, but I think with the essential device, it, it's still kind of TBD about how that sort of thing, how that's all going to play out. They did leverage a fair amount of the platform. I think there are some things that we asked them, we encouraged them to actually adopt and incorporate that they didn't um, because they wanted to get out really, really thin. With their device, and they definitely accomplished that. Um, but then now, I think they're going to learn what those trade-offs, you know, are all about. Um, uh, hey, do we go thin? So we, you know, we 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 sacrifice gigabit LTE, for example, which you know has actually become important. Right. So um, so those trade-offs. So they're going to learn a lot about that. So those are two other um, kind of OEMs that have interesting stories that are emerging. I think outside of the usual suspects of, of, of flagship devices. Oh, yeah. I think these are, I mean, these are great stories. You've got all the big players, Moto, HTC, Samsung, you know, and, and Google, uh, you know, with these devices. It's 835 devices. But we've seen quite a few, you know, like new players come on, well, not new, but small niche players come along, like you said, OnePlus, yeah. essential. And I think um, I want to see more of that. And it, yeah. and it speaks to, I think, Qualcomm's ability to, you know, uh, or, or manufacturers, small manufacturers' ability to quickly produce 
products. Yeah. There is a downside to that. Maybe uh, maybe <laughs> Angel can talk about it really briefly because I, I I I know your time is valuable, Don. But you've had a mixed experience with your central phone, and and I don't think it had anything to do with the eight thirty five. No, it didn't. It was it was more of a a hype problem. Um, I think they they overhyped what they were able to deliver, um, and I think they overhyped what they were able to deliver in terms of time and finished product. Even though it was about two months late, it still felt very rushed. Yeah, you had issues with the camera, right? Yeah, Mostly. I, my, I, I mean, a lot of my, people have. Well, I mean, first of all, the camera wasn't up to par in terms of But they've improved, right? Yeah, the software update, camera improved. Um, I had issues with 360 camera. They swapped out the whole phone and the camera. So everything's working as promised now. But I still feel like, you know, there's still some things that they could have done better. Granted, this is their first phone. Everyone should get a, you know, at least a, a small pass on, you know, their first device ever. Um, but, yeah, there's still some things they've got to do and improve on. Granted, it is their first phone. I mean, making hardware is hard and making phones is even harder because it's such a crowded segment, uh, especially in the high end. The expectations are super high now. I mean, you know, um, and, and of course, when you're a niche player, and that's why I think OnePlus' story speaks for itself. They've Absolutely. delivered a pretty solid product at an amazingly great, great value, right? Yeah. Uh, with an 835 chipset, um, which is no small feat, and more RAM than anybody can shake a stick at, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think they know their audience, and they've done a really good job of understanding the needs and the desires of their audience. And then they're not. They haven't. Um, they haven't been trapped by the well. We have to grow. We have to scale. We have to get bigger. If we don't get bigger, we're not going to be able to. They've avoided all that sort of um, noise to stay really true to. Um, hey, if we're going to grow, we're going to grow methodically. We're going to grow um, with our audience, and it's going to be organic. And they've given themselves the okay to do that versus succumbing to like financial pressures or investors' pressures that you have to get big really fast and you have to show this hockey stick curve of profitability and they're just not playing that game. And I think that's enabled them to be true to themselves and true to the device and quite frankly to their audience because they're not confused and they're not distracted by by that pressure. And, um, and so we've seen that kind of loud and clear come through in the way that they've brought their device to market. Yeah. So let's talk. This is the 5G, 4G summit that we are here in Hong Kong. And thanks for coming, Don. Sure. I, I know it's like, I don't, I see you often, but your time is super valuable. So I want to talk a little bit about wireless and, you know, which is your core business. Ultimately, you make awesome APs and Snapdragons, but really where you come, came from as a company is making modems and, yep. and bringing amazing connectivity improvements to the market for years and years. Sure. So um, it was interesting to me that some of the uh, 835 uh, manufacturers have chosen not to implement the gigabit LTE, mm -hmm. like the Pixel 2. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, at the same time, we're talking, we're starting to talk about uh, uh, 5G uh, um, what are they called the test unit evaluation unit yeah, reference designs, reference designs right. and stuff like that right so you're having uh, you talk you know that was announced uh, yesterday right, right. here yeah. so yeah. that means that companies like oneplus or whoever can cr potentially look at creating a oneplus 7 maybe right. uh, that's gonna have uh, 5g connectivity and that's yeah. pretty amazing yeah it's pretty amazing I think that there had been some skepticism in the ecosystem about how fast we could get there. Um, you know, with every G transition, a lot of complexity. Oh, yeah. Right? More antennas, more bands. I mean, Cristiano showed that chart 
yesterday with I know. a thousand different combinations, right? So it's hard. And, and this is why, you know, when people look at Qualcomm and they say, oh my God, you spent so much on R&D, right? It's, it's because of that. Like we right. have to in order to A, either accelerate transition or B, solve the ecosystem's problems. Um, and so that so that we can you know enable the ecosystem to build these devices and 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 provide great connectivity. So uh, so for for a OnePlus or anybody else. Um, so the, the the fact that we've been able to accelerate from when we originally announced the X50 family um, to having a reference design and having a first data call um, is pretty phenomenal. Um, that, that that we've been able to do that in, in such a kind of a, um, a, a condensed time frame. It's faster than we've ever done it before. So, especially with a tr- with a G transition, right? So that's been pretty cool and 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 pretty exciting. Um, Pixel two uh, in in some and a few others that decided not to uh, embrace gigabit LTE. You know, there's there's a couple. Th- I have some theories. <laughs> I'm sure Ansel, you have some theories too. But but one of the theories is I think that at the beginning when we first started talking about gigabit LTE. Um, there's, you know, there's just this usual skepticism. Why do we need it? Why do we need gigabit speeds? It's not really... And then, oh, it's going to take operators years to implement it across their networks. All those naysayers and all that noise comes out first. Then we do our Telstra event in Australia, and it, <laughs> and it becomes real. Right. And then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's real. And, and, the, and then the operator community wakes up, right? And then what we, what we like to say, the, the arms race to gigabit LTE began in <laughs> Sydney. I think you were there. I right? was there. I um, and so that was the shot that rang around the world, right? Um, uh, was that was that event? And then all of a sudden, you see these. You know, we're getting phone calls, and these operators are committing to trials and deployments. And by the end of the year, you know, I'm going to have all of London covered. And so this arms race started, which you know we were excited about because we believe that it is important. Because talking about 5G, it is the path to 5G. You can't just say I'm going to do 5G and not have any of the backward compatibility that you need you know, in, in the ecosystem, right? So, or on the network, quite frankly. So we're, we're excited about the, the adoption, but I think some of the OEMs were kind of caught in this, well, do we really need to do it? They kind of believe some of the early noise and maybe they had to make their decision before the arms race started. So they kind of missed an inflection point. So it's like, damn, there's a right? cutoff date. There's a cutoff date. So they couldn't go back and implement the extra antennas or whatever it was to make yeah. it happen. And then some of them just quite frankly made trade-off decisions. Like, like essential, like, okay, we want it thin. It's got to be thin. We can't do that if we're going to do four by four mile or whatever. So, and again, trade-offs, it's their device. They got to, they got to make their decisions. The irony, the great irony of the Pixel situation is though, is right now Gigabit LTE is only available on Android. Yeah. Yeah. But except for (laughs) the actual Google device. Yeah. Um, So that is the great irony of of it. and, And it's like, not even that it's not Gigabit, it's almost gigabit it's, it's almost. 800 it's all yeah, so yeah. just do the extra thing right it's so <laughs> it hurts it, it does hurt and again that's you know again it's an inflection it's a timing it's a what are you going to place your bets on and we get that and i mean i think i think google now understands the pixel team and you know teams inside of companies don't necessarily talk to each other but i think the google pixel team now understands that probably was something that they should have should have just done Right. Next yeah. and, year, and I'll be, on, I'll be honest with you. You know, I didn't Pixel even think 3. about this. I didn't even think about this until recently. But don't the V30 and the HTC 11 both, both have gigabit? Both have gigabit. Yeah. So both HTC and LG have it. Yeah. Or yeah. both the ODMs for for yep. Pixel. Yeah. 
But the Pixel doesn't have it. Yeah. Well, I do think there's a potentially a packaging issue here because the reality is this, and this is, I think, what vexes some people, like looking at the reviews of the Pixel, you know, other than the headphone jack, which right. is everybody's upset about. Um, the display on the Pixel 2 XL is, is there some issues of people finding that it's not quite as good as they expect for the price. And I think for the price is the key word here because for the price, you can get a V30 or U11 that has gigabit. Right. And... To, so packaging and antenna-wise, it's feasible. I get the feeling that Google's trying to, to make these phones affordable to manufacture to potentially get a slightly bigger profit margin to show that they can actually uh, have a business case here. Possibly. And that's because, you know, to me, that's the only thing I can think of here other than you said inflection point, they missed the inflection point. It's, it's potentially a financial decision like, Let's you know minimize the complexity of the antenna design so right. we don't have to deal with gigabit at this point because we don't feel it matters until next year we'll have the phone with it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I want to talk it's briefly. A mystery. There's a couple more things I want to talk with you about, Dom, before yep. I know you have to run. And sure. that's um, AI mm -hmm. and this whole trend towards um, you know machine learning and neural network computing. Yep. And then I want to talk to you about, I want you to pimp because this is what you need to be able to do is the <laughs> yeah. Snapdragon 636 that was just announced right. because um, the mid-range is a huge part of the market, right? So uh, tell us what your thoughts are. And, and this will segue with our conversation around the Mate 10. Um, as you know, Huawei, big company, makes their own chips. Mm -hmm. Kirin 970 yeah. was the first, uh, the first phone with that product was announced on, well, 24 hours before the Pixel 2. Yeah. Uh, I had my own video and stuff about it. Very nice phone, etc. But their big thing is they're kind of trying to do the AI thing for imaging, but they obviously don't have the data set that Google has. Right. But they have implemented what they call an NPU, right? right? A neural network processing unit right. in their Kirin chip. Yeah. So I, I know you guys have a different strategy, and I wanted to, you know, you talked about that because I think that there is not a clear understanding out there, either from my tech audience that's listening to this podcast, but in general about the public, sure. about the importance of AI for XR, AR, VR, right. and for everything, camera, right. all that. Yeah. And and that and people might be asking themselves, well, where's Qualcomm in all this? And so sure. I think you guys have an interesting solution. So talk about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so first on the on the on the the Kirin um, uh, processor, I think um, when they announced it at IFA. Yeah, uh, and they positioned it as a as a as the first you know, AI processor. I, it was positioning, right? I think it was positioning and marketing. You know, they don't even make their own MPU; they're buying it from somebody else, right? Um, and and it's a discrete part, um, and they're kind of bolting it on, right? Um, we believe that the the machine learning and AI capabilities of the platform actually have to be more ubiquitous. Um, and because, as you said, there are different things that leverage machine learning, that leverage AI, whether it's XR or AR, um, or just in general, whether it's XR, whether it's camera, whether it's authentication or multifaceted authentication, those types of things all have to leverage machine learning. Um, and so what we've, you know, and we announced this on 835, was our neural processing engine, right, our, our, our MPE. Right. Um, which which is not necessarily a, a U, it's an E, because it really takes things across the platform and it really leverages the learning in the best place possible. So if the learning needs to be positioned on the DSP, 
then it should be positioned on the DSP. Right. If the learning needs to be positioned on the GPU, it should be positioned on the GPU and CPU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So having this sort of broader approach to machine learning and AI, and, and again, leveraging the, the platform so that you're still power efficient and you're still delivering the best user experience, both um, for our customers, our OEM customers, as well as for the end user, has been our approach. I, I'd say where we have um, neglected is to really talk about it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we have not talked about it enough. Yeah. And we are going to so talk about it. Are. More, <laughs> talk and here we are. And we're going to start. And <laughs> it all starts with me. No, it doesn't start with me. But we are going to talk about it more going into 2018, uh, you know, the rest of this year and into 2018. Um, uh, AI to Qualcomm is, a, is, is an important part of our story. Um, we are, you know, really looking at it. Um, at, from from the, from the on device on edge perspective, not the cloud perspective, because we know the AI cloud guys are looking at it from a cloud perspective. That's not where we play. Yeah. But we think AI is just as important at the device yeah. level and on the edge level as it is in the cloud. And and we have that more and more. Like the Pixel Two again right. has uh, music recognition baked in. You can turn it on to always run right. along with the OK Google right. thing, right? Yeah. So um and in it in it. You know, it's not necessarily a neural network. I mean, it is a little bit, but right. the point is, it's it's always on and it's offline, so you can have it be in airplane mode. Right. Uh, and, and still, it still helps. Exactly. So that on-device learning is important for because you're not always connected to the cloud. Um, I think you're going to hear more in in Hawaii. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with uh, with our uh, ML and AI story mm-hmm. as you guys come and, and hear about all the great stuff we have planned for Tech Summit. Woo hoo! Um, and um, so that's one thing I will say. That's a little foreshadowing. Um, one thing I was also going to say about it is um, we were we we're joking for the Pixel Two launch because we were watching it online at, um, in the office. Was if we had a bottle of tequila and had to take a shot every time they said the word machine yeah, learning, we'd be hammered. Yeah, for right? sure. Because like every single speaker, like I think they were required to put machine learning into their speech, whether it belonged there or not. Um, it was super funny, but uh, but they're committed to it, and obviously it was a great you know billboard or yeah. poster for for AI and for machine learning, and we're glad they brought all these features to bear. So it, we we love that because it just helps tell the story to a broader audience because it's not well understood. Right. Um, but we are going to start talking more about AI, about machine learning. You're going to see a lot more um, of our story at Tech Summit. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. Cool. And again, I think our approach is just different. I think what Huawei did was try to position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they launched their platforms a year after we launched our platforms, and then they compared themselves to our year-old platforms. And then two months after that, we launch our next generation platform and we crush them. So, you know, so, you know, it's a timing timing thing. You Um, heard it here first. uh, uh, But but that's sort of, you know, the nature of the game and how it's played. Um, But, uh, but, so that's that. On 636. Yeah. um, uh, And I I, actually have been watching the press pickup on 636 over the last few days. It's been really good. Um, You know, when you, when you come to a, to a 4G, 5G summit, which, you know, you made the point earlier, it's really about connectivity. Right. This historically has been a connectivity show with our kind of modem as the star. And um, to, so to launch a new AP at a, at, a, at a show that's really all about connectivity, even though it's obviously integrated onto the 636's connectivity, it's, you know, interesting about do you get the pickup that you want? Are people really listening? Are they, you know, is everybody fixated on 5G? Is everybody fixated on X, X50 or X20, whatever? So, um, so I'm really happy with the pickup, and and really the good news story about the X about the 636 is we've we have um, negotiated and deliberately brought premium tier features 
into the, the high tier, we call it, the 600 tier, um, so that we can enable a, a, a bigger, broader range of affordable devices that can take advantage of some of these features. Right. Um, and we, 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 we usually do cascade and waterfall features down um, into the 600 tier uh, based on timing and based on scalability and, and, and manufacturing process and things like that, a lot of factors that go into it. But we, we're, we're really pleased with that the market is, the message recall has been what we wanted it to be on the 636. We're, we're, really, we're really allowing the OEMs who create devices in this category to take those devices to the next level and provide um, higher tier experiences, more premium experiences, but at this tier while still keeping the premium tier separate. It's always a delicate balancing act. How fast do you waterfall versus how slow do you waterfall? Um, but we think we, we've got a good cadence there. So we're excited about what the 636 brings to, to the ecosystem and to OEMs who build high, on, the, on the high tier. Do you want to quickly Especially tell... in China. Do you want to quickly tell the audience in a nutshell mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, the previous uh, 600 series, the mm -hmm. 625 and the 630. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what's different? What's, especially in the connectivity realm. Yeah. So uh, obviously the X16 modem in the, in the connectivity uh, piece uh, for the 636 is super important. Right. Um, uh, camera, the in-camera improvements that we've made um, uh, and, and just dialing up the, the different parts of the platform um, to make them that much better. Right. right. And the it's it, it's some in some ways it's incremental. In some ways, people are like, oh, I didn't expect that to come into the high tier, at least so fast. Right. Um, so we had a little bit of, of that and we had a little bit of, oh, yeah, that's that's a nice improvement. Right. <laughs> uh, over 625 or, or whatever. And the high tier is, you know, tough because if you look at tiering, whether it's, you know, silicon tiering or whether it's tiering of devices, you know, you've got your premium tier, you've got your value tier, you've got your mid tier. And the high tier is always this like sort of slicing and dicing of how it can, you know, sweet spotting and, right. and everything. And sometimes it goes away and disappears. Sometimes it gets cannibalized by other tiers. So it's, it's, it's one of those um, really kind of nuanced places to play that, um, that we have to really pay a lot of attention to and kind of be thoughtful about um, so that we're not cannibalizing and, t and tipping things in the wrong direction um, for ourselves but also just, you know, for the ecosystem. And then the OEMs are like, well, we don't really want this. You know, we, we, we'll just, we'll step up yeah. or we'll step down. Oh, yeah. So it's like, it's a delicate balancing act. But so far, again, the, 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 you know, and again, we, we don't do these things just on our own. We talk to every OEM as we're developing these roadmaps and saying, well, what do you want in this next generation, right? What would be helpful to you to make you sell better and, yeah. and be able to get, you know, what, what you I want mean, out of it? You know, for me, it's, it's it's exciting simply because the the you know, 625 was such a it created such a family of great products right. because of the around battery life yep. right mm -hmm. and uh, the features were scaled down but not uh, neglected as yes. it were right? right so that's why I was like oh, okay so you know and the 630 kind of continued in that direction and mm -hmm. I think the, the 636 will as well yeah. and shall how do you feel about this stuff well I, actually I was I've I've been really impressed with the 600 series tier. Um, because I remember one of the six first 600 tier, series tier phones was the uh, Xiaomi Redmi Note 3, mm -hmm. and that thing blew me away in terms of battery life. Mm -hmm. I just, I remember running a battery life benchmark on it, and like I had to re rethink the way I was benchmarking it because it right. ran so long. And I mean, when it comes to pe people who care about battery life, yeah. it's the perfect tier. Yeah. It really is. Especially when they build the right battery around it, yep. the right display. Yeah. And we like to say, you know, battery life's not sexy, 
but it's super important, right? Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's a lot still... of people think it's a pretty key feature, and I oh, think yeah. that you know there's Always an entire market of devices built around long battery life, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, I think it's a pretty reasonable thing. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, Don. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks I, I, you guys for I being, traveling it. to Hong Kong to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, and uh, it's you got know, nice outside. I know it's, it's sunny. <laughs> I was, the typhoon I was is over. Eyeing the pool earlier, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's very um, nice. But yeah, um, thanks for being here. And uh, you know, we're going to be talking. Obviously, uh, we 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 mentioned the word. Snapdragon at least three or ten times every podcast. It's Thank hard you. not to. I appreciate to. you helping with, helping me with my brand. Well, awareness. you know, it's like <laughs> I'm primarily an Android user, and it's the reality is that the Android world uh, runs mostly on Snapdragon these right. days. So I mean, uh, you know, it's not like uh, it, it Qualcomm we can just uh, you know ignore as it were. So. And we wouldn't. So, you know, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. You're very it. welcome. Any, anytime. Uh, Look forward to seeing you guys in Hawaii. Yeah. And yep. maybe we'll do this again. Yeah, I think that would be That'd great. That would be great. Yeah. By the pool. <laughs> <laughs> a little too loud. Yeah, I was say, it might be a little bit too noisy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Don. So, yeah, Anshel, uh, we talked about the Maytend just now a little bit with Don. Mostly kind of from the, you know, perspective of... You know, they made a processor with an NPU. What are you going to do kind of thing, right? But at the same time, I kind of want to know your, your take. You're an analyst. Your job is to tell a whole bunch of people out there rely basically on your judgment and your knowledge and your opinion on what, what matters, right? So, like, tell me what you think of this whole AI push in Silicon, a aka, you know, Karen 970 versus what... You know what uh, Don just talked on the Qualcomm ecosystem side of it. So I think there's multiple camps when it comes to AI and machine learning. Um, I think that when you look at the place where we're at right now when it comes to AI and machine learning, um, a lot of things are still being learned. There's no right answer right now. Yeah. First of all, there's no right answer. But also, I feel like there's still a lot to be learned in terms of how to you know write the right algorithms, you know what kind of data sets are necessary. How much processing gets done on the device? How much gets done in the cloud? Um, how much compute do you need on the device? How much should you rely on in the data center? And I, the, the, the issue I see is if, if companies, you know, come to market too early with an NPU, they risk having fixed function hardware that doesn't match the algorithms that are running on, that are actually running on the devices. And ironically, um, Qualcomm was one of the first companies to come out with an NPU, and they didn't actually have anything to run on it. <laughs> and this was like two or three years ago. Right. And and now, you know, you have companies like Huawei who are coming out with NPUs, and I think Apple also has some kind some of... Some kind of NPU. Right, yeah. and some kind of NPU. But the thing is, is that it's really difficult to do an NPU in hardware if you don't have a set, you know, algorithm... That you know you're going to always run. Right. Because otherwise it doesn't run as fast. It doesn't have that benefit of being fixed function hardware. And that's why you're seeing companies like Qualcomm who are doing this multi-processor approach where they find the right processor for the, the AI ML workload and send it to there or they run it on multiple processors at the same time. Because ultimately, I still think we're really early, early days on AI and ML. And there's still a lot that's going to be learned. And I think they're taking a more cautious approach because they were so aggressive initially with their MPU that ended up not getting implemented in anything. And now that they want it, now they're now they're realizing how 
how much more they have to learn. Right. And I think if you look at it, like, why is NVIDIA, you know, on the, in, on the high end still so popular? Because their GPUs are able to adjust to new types of algorithms and new ways of doing AI and ML that simply are changing on a monthly or if not daily basis. Right. So when you look at AI and ML and how things are changing constantly, that's why those GPUs and, and FPGAs are so popular in the data center to do all these kinds of you know, processing capabilities because ultimately fixed function hardware right now, yeah, you can say you have, you're have a hundred times faster than a GPU, but that's if the algorithms stay the same and if you're sure that the algorithms will stay the same in the future right. and you don't get left behind by new algorithms and new, new ways of doing AI and ML. And that's the thing. The reason why I think Apple and, and Huawei are able to do what they've done is because they own the hardware, they own the software, they, they, they own the entire experience. So they know there are certain software features that aren't going to change because they're the ones who implement them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think in their case, uh, Huawei was very clear at our briefing that they want a lot of his computational photography. So a lot of what we're seeing on the Pixel 2. I didn't really get a chance to play with the cameras on the Mate 10 very much. Uh, but, you know, they really pushed that just like Google really pushed it. But I have a gut feeling that Google's uh, access to a much larger data set through, you know, the search and the photos and all the other stuff they have it's probably going to be a better experience or a better end result. But I think that at the same time, Huawei, you know, they talked about, you know, optimizing the performance of the phones to stay uh, fast over the 18 months or so that they want to support them, basically. And that matters because, uh, you know, uh, phones slow down over time a little bit, especially the file system. And in the past, Huawei has... Um, implemented features like their own custom file system and stuff to improve that. Right. But I think a lot of it is based around machine learning, learning how the phone is being used to optimize the storage management. And I think um, their NPU is, is in part helping with that. So that's that's kind of my gut feeling about it. Yeah, and I, you I know think... That, like Also, I think I don't want to be, um, you know, j that jaded journalist, but look, Huawei is going to make this phone. They're going to have a few use cases running on the NPUs that are pretty nicely set. And that's not going to get upgraded. And you're basically going to eventually get another Huawei phone with better technology. So they, they don't care, right? They, I mean, the reality is when you do fix function, function hardware like this, you silo yourself. You freeze that feature set. Yeah. Because if, if your algorithms change or the way you implement them, you're, you're for the unless you're really clever with the way you do your MPU, you're probably not going to make a huge difference. Right. So you have to, you kind of freeze yourself in that time frame, and that's why I think you're right that we'll probably see a new MPU with the next generation of whatever software they choose to employ. But you know because Huawei kind of does that Apple ecosystem thing where they own all these different applications and all these different features. They have that ability to kind of build in this fixed function hardware where it might not make sense for an LG or a Samsung. I mean, maybe a Samsung, but it's questionable, right? Because right. the applications have to know how to utilize that. And right now, you know, Android doesn't really have any capability that we know of that would 
you know, make use of an NPU at this moment. No, I mean, they have TensorFlow, right? Right. And that is still kind of in its infancy. Right, and I don't see TensorFlow going into... That's right, TensorFlow. TensorFlow going into a, sensor. into a phone, you know, right now. But it's possible it could go in the future. But that's because, you know, Google has spent so much time perfecting the hardware and and building an ecosystem around their own AI and ML capabilities. Right. And I think this is just, you know... What we're going to see is just a continuation of, you know, a lot of attempts to do AI and ML that are flexible to the changing atmosphere because things change so quickly that it just it's, it's really hard for me to think about someone going out of their way and doing an MPU unless they can get the entire ecosystem to adopt it with them. Right. And a company like Qualcomm could do that in the future, but right now they're just doing it through their GPU, CPU, DSP you know the symphony no, i think it's a very viable solution for now i think both you know as you said both have their advantages and drawbacks right yeah. and and i think it's a different approach to this, a similar problem that is basically part of this you know it's very new still right i mean we're still kind of trying to figure out what the best approach is going to be and and the thing is with ai and ml we've probably got another 10 or 20 years oh yeah until yeah. we really figure out what it's capable of yeah for sure um, the next thing I let's since we're talking about the Mate 10, I know you didn't get to play with them, but I want to tell everybody real quick that they're both very beautiful phones. There's a pro and a non-pro version. The pro is water resistant, has no headphone jack, has no micro SD support, and has a lesser resolution display. However, the pro has a um you know, wide aspect ratio, ultra wide display. So it's got like an 189 display. Um, that's AMOLED and it's um, it 1080p plus. Does it do daydream? Like no, the other product? No, it's 1080p plus. Oh. That's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so it's interesting on one hand that the Mate 10 Pro is kind of more the premium product, but at the same time has no headphone jack, no micro SD, has water resistance, but has a lesser resolution wider aspect ratio screen and then the mate 10 regular has an ips quad hd panel has very small top and bottom bezels so it kind of looks like a samsung galaxy would but i mean it uh, kind of does but it's it's wide as it's wide right because right. it's 69 in the ips on the mate 10 regular um that's so, a weird set of like so it's interesting that it's also not water resistant and it has a headphone jack and it has a micro SD, but the cameras are the same on both. The processor, the RAM, there's more RAM and more storage on the Pro. On the Pro right? Six gigs, I think, versus four. Um, and so it's an interesting thing, but the cameras kept me excited because Leica is involved again and we've seen that they can deliver. I mean, they're not quite at this, you know, at the place where the competition is, but think about it. it the, still P takes good photos. the P10 came out in. March at Mobile Congress essentially, and shortly thereafter it was on the market. So we're talking about a pretty old phone compared to the V30, the Mate 8, sorry, the No, not the Mate 8, the Note 8, the Pixel 2, and all that. And so as a result, I think that if the Mate 10 is trying to be competitive, we're going to see a big improvement in the camera. But what's got me excited not only is the Leica branding because I know Leica will put some good DNA in there, but it's f of 1.6 lenses, both of them just like the v30 has on its primary lens right it's the second phone now with a, such a fast lens system 
And you know, OIS and one monochrome 20 megapixel, one black, red RGB 12 megapixel. So it should be a pretty potent uh, uh, system. And then of course, you know, the Mates and the P series have always been pretty awesome phones. I've, um, I've actually preferred the Mate series over the P series. Me too, generally. I feel like, you know, they, they say the P's are their flagships, but the Mates to me really feel like But the it's the flagship. same as the Note versus the Galaxy S8. The Galaxy S8 is a flagship, but the Note is kind of like this extra little bit. Right, and I think part of the reason why I have that feeling is partially because they roll out the Mates first. Correct. And the Mate you spend a lot more time with, and then you get the P and you're like, okay... I can see how this is a flagship, but I've had the Mate for so long. Yeah. Well, if you look at the numbering scheme, though, it's generally the P first and then the Mate, right? Go P9, right. Mate 9, P10, Mate but 10. But it feels like it feels, but it like feels the, the other way around. I agree it, with you on It totally feels yep. like the Mate is actually coming first. And so this Mate 10 um, is also a bit more kind of like, it doesn't have the stylus like the Note does, but it, you can feel this a business user kind of focus there because it has decks. Well... They don't call it that. Yeah, but their own and, version. But they don't have a dock. You can take any cable that has USB-C to HDMI or USB-C to DisplayPort, and instantly you have a desktop-style experience. So you can flip the phone over to that. Now, is the desktop-style experience as good as the desk one, the Dex one? Because I have to tell you, I finally got to play with Dex. I love Dex. And oh my God, this is the first time I've used a smartphone in a desktop experience-like environment. And it works. Where I felt like, okay, this is totally like Chromebook. Uh, it's like, I can deal with this. It's yep. totally fine. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been able to play with Dex for the last couple months. It's pretty with awesome. With my S8 Plus. And the one thing that I was really impressed with was that they thought about adding cooling to the charging pad yeah so that it doesn't overheat so your experience doesn't degrade as you use it for longer periods yeah. of time because i feel like a lot of people overlook that and the heat gets higher and it starts to slow the throttle the phone and the experience isn't really a desktop experience anymore i agree and i think that um one of the mistakes potentially that why we did the Mate 10 there is that you can't charge at the same time because you're plugging into the TV. Mm -hmm. um, and um, but they did one thing that I think I wish that Samsung had done is that you can use the phone as a touchpad and a keyboard. Yeah, they they pretty so, much disable the phone. When you're yeah, you're, the and that's one of the things with Dex that bugs me because if you're just wanting to watch Netflix. You have yeah. to pull out a Bluetooth mouse to put it in mirror mode at least, or to actually like use a desktop interface and and that, or 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 a USB but mouse. I will least. say part of the reason why I like Dex also is I was able to connect my mechanical keyboard and mouse to it, and like it was like using my PC at home. Yeah, I mean it's easy, it's better integrated in the sense that with Huawei you'd have to use Bluetooth to do that. Yeah. Whereas the Dex gives you two USB Type A inputs, right? Yeah, I mean, look, there are pros and cons to dock, but my point is that you could technically create a, a dock by having a like that 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 hub. The hub I'm using for my MacBook right now to record this podcast, right? So you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, I think that it's interesting that they're doing it that you don't need special hardware for it, right? Um, what Which else? Sounds was, like a Huawei thing. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> what was the takeaway other than that? I mean, look, I'm looking forward to reviewing it, and me too. I'm hearing strong rumors that the 10 Pro will be coming to the US, not the 10 regular. 
So be prepared for another phone without a headphone jack. <laughs> and I'm going to be mad again. Oh, God. I, what I really should be doing is drinking whiskey while I do the podcast. Because every time the headphone jack gets mentioned. You should drink. Um, no, I don't drink. So anyway, uh, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL. Very impressive. Very happy. May 10. Very promising. Um, you had, uh, you know, um, not so great experience with Essential. But, you know, let's hope that you know they they sold enough of them that they can stick around to maintain them and improve the software experience and maybe give us an essential two next year right. that fixes a lot of these issues yeah i mean the reality is is hard like you've said hardware is hard to do and i hope that they've learned from their lesson i've learned i hope they've learned their lesson and um that they've sold enough devices that they can actually continue to you know make phones um, it sounds like they've got enough funding where they should be able to pull that off, but ultimately it comes down to whether or not the market accepts them. Yeah. Um, because if the market doesn't accept them, they're not, never going to sell enough devices and there haven't really been very many good rumors in terms of their sales. So I, I hope that they're able to, you know, work with Sprint per, perhaps oh, that's... To, to improve their sales. But the problem is difficult. Sprint. Yeah, I know. Right. Sprint is, I mean, who wants to be on, I hate to say this, but who wants to be on Sprint? If you're a Sprint customer, guys, and it's working for you, congrats. But I don't know anybody who's on Sprint who's happy. Right. And, yeah. and some people choose it for cost. But at that point, T-Mobile is just as competitive and I think is a better experience um and and you know you have much more choices of devices because sprint is so limiting in devices i honestly you know it's like when the palm pre was announced on sprint only i was like what a nightmare and when the essential was announced on sprint only what a nightmare and when the u11 was announced on sprint only well you can buy it unlocked from htc so well, but, you can also buy the 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 uh, essential unlocked too okay yeah, no, yeah i'm true. running i'm but, running but, it but, on but my point is that at least the pre was locked into only sprint at the time right yeah but I agree that you can get the unlocked versions for the essential as well. I'm just saying that, you know, for the average customer who just yeah. walks into a store and sees this phone and wants it, if they can't get an AT&T and Verizon, in my opinion, yeah. like who cares about T-Mobile and Sprint, frankly? But if you can't get an AT&T and Verizon store, your phone doesn't exist, okay? I agree completely. <laughs> so, I, well, I, one, I think carrier exclusives are dumb. I, I, I get the whole business case behind it. But ultimately, if you want your phone to be successful... You have to be in all four carriers. Yeah. And and Google doesn't even have that. And Google doesn't even have that. And that's why they're not really truly successful, right? They're marginally successful compared to what they used to be like. But when you put them against, you know, Samsung and Apple, they look like a peon. Yeah. And that's and that's Huawei's problem in the US. Right. I mean, they're a massive company. They could even become number one this year in in volume or whatever. Compared to, you know, I think Apple's still, I mean, volume profit, yeah, one a of them. Apple and Samsung are still one and two, but Huawei's a very close Very three. close And three, they did right? that one quarter where they were yeah. number two. So my point is that, you know, but imagine that's the case, yet Huawei doesn't pretty much for all instances and purposes, uh, for for all purposes, practical purposes, doesn't exist in the U.S. Right. For the, for the average consumer. Absolutely. Unless you're looking at low-end crap phones, right? So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, anyway, we should probably wrap it up, but I just wanted to say uh, thanks to Don for being here again. And, of course, thanks you, thank you, Angel, for being here. Please plug yourself. Tell people where they can find you online. If they, you, I know you have a pretty strong presence on, on Twitter anyway, so yes. and Facebook, but Twitter. Yeah, so 
I am on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Entrelsog. And um, I'm also, I write on Forbes from time to time. Oh, that's right. Um, I also write for some VR publications from time to time, sometimes Upload, sometimes Road to VR. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I like to be opinionated. and Twitter, We like that about and, you. And Twitter tends to be the place where I make my initial reactions. Cool. Well, you guys know how to follow uh, Angel now, and I uh, am Tankerl on Twitter at T N K G R L. That's like the comic book character Tankerl without the vowels. Also, we've talked about a couple of phones just now that I've played with and made videos of on my YouTube channel. So go to youtube.com/slash Miriam Joar. That's my full name, uh, and you'll get to my channel. So if you want to see what these phones look like and, and get a feel for the cosmetics and the experience, check it out. Um, and of course, please tell your friends about the podcast, subscribe, mobiletechpodcast.com is the website that will take you to a place where you can subscribe with the RSS feed. You can find us on iTunes and of course on Pocket Casts uh, as well, which is the very popular Android podcast app. Um, stay tuned for next week. We'll have another awesome guest and uh, we'll catch you later. Cheers, everyone. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.